Praise team, thank you for that last song. Can you feel it? God is in the house. His spirit is moving already. And I know for me, I am jazzed to see what he's going to do. Welcome, church family. Welcome to all of you that are online. You are family. I pray that you will receive a blessing today. A lot of you know my story. I was raised in a small town of Grandview, about 40 miles from here in the Yakima Valley. When I grew up, which was many, many years ago, I'm going to talk about a time over 60 years ago. Because in Grandview, it was in the middle between Prosper and Sunnyside, seven miles each way. But when mom said, kids, we're going to go to Sunnyside today, That was a treat. Seven miles, <laughs> and look at us today. But boy, we got excited when it came to just going to Sunnyside to go shopping. But what really got my heart patting was when Dad and Mom said, okay, this Sunday afternoon, we're going to Yakima. <laughs> oh, man, the big city. I had two older sisters. They were five and seven years older than I. I thank the Lord for them. But when we got to Yakima, as some of you may remember the old country store in Union Gap. There we go. That seemed to be the place where we landed first. And normally at the beginning, my mom would take the girls. I would be with dad. And we'd say, we'll meet you back at so-and-so in about an hour or so. I didn't want to shop for dresses. I didn't want to look at shoes. Not with my sisters. Dad and I were going to look at men things. Tools. Sports. At that time, I can be honest with you, I cannot remember his words. But I am sure as I'm standing here, because I know my dad... He would have said, Fred, take my hand. I don't want to lose you. Fred, take my hand because I want to keep you safe as we go through this huge store. And I would take my daddy's hand. And we'd go shopping. I never thought about that at that age, maybe three or four, I'm not sure. But I remember those moments. And it really hit home when I became a dad. And I had two sons. Little Charlie. Joshua. And we would go shopping far much more bigger than the old country store. But I find myself as a dad saying, Charlie, take daddy's hand. I don't want to lose you. I want to keep you safe. Josh, take daddy's hand. And you know what? They did. They didn't fight me. 
They didn't put up a battle. They relinquished right up front, took my hand. And then I felt what my daddy felt. My sons trust me. My sons believe in me. My sons know that I will be there for them no matter what. Because for them, they were just along for the ride. Sightseeing and everything else. But daddy was in charge. As a grandparent of two children, Carly, Augie, we go shopping now. (laughs) What a joy they are to my heart. And I say, Carly, take Grandpa's hand. Augie, take Grandpa's hand. And you know what? They do. They don't fight it. They take my hand. And you know what that does to Grandpa? The same way it did with my boys. Today we're going to experience, I believe, with the opportunity of our daddy, our father, when it comes to trusting him. I'm going to give you a heads up of what we're going to do here today. We're going to start chapter 32 in Exodus. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with Moses. This morning is going to be a little different because what I'm going to do is kind of set the stage by going through the scriptures and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it because right now these scriptures, when you read them, you cannot help but scratch your head and wonder. The scriptures that we're going to read here today involve anger, frustration, sadness, anger and fear, disappointment. All these things with these four words up here are dealing with feelings and behaviors. Because you see, the Israelites, they had a problem. They, They didn't know God yet. So their mind was kind of still empty. But when you look at this text that we look at today, It's almost a perfect case study for a human psychology class case study. Right there it is. When we read it today, there is such a broad spectrum of emotions and feelings and things that transpire here that really boggle your mind. And of course, we're going to talk about the golden calf. How many times have you heard those words? The golden calf. You may be looking over here wondering, what in the world is that? Maybe it's a golden calf. Because really, a golden calf is anything that may take God's place in your heart. That's the simple definition. Anything that takes place in your heart over God. 
In fact, the questions that we have to address today is, what are your priorities? And where does God fit in your priorities? Is he listed at the top? Did he make the top ten? Priorities are crucial. I'm sure each one of you probably have one of these, maybe in your pocket, your purse, or you're looking at it right now. This can be a golden calf. Yep. Anything. Anything that takes the place of God in your heart. So this morning, before we get started here, let's talk to our Father. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time here that you provide opportunity for us, your children, to come here to be with you, to be in your presence. Because to hearing that song, the sermon really is... Father, all we want is you. We come here this morning for you, not me, for you. So, Father, I ask that you empty me of self, that you use me as a vessel, that the words that are spoken are your words, that the Holy Spirit will move in a mighty way this morning, that you will be glorified, that you will be seen with the true attribute of who you are, a loving, caring, heavenly Father who gives everything for us. May your presence be felt as we commune with you this morning. In your loving Son's name I pray, amen. Okay, buckle up because here we go, folks. We're going to get a concept here of what this text is all about. And I tell you, it's going to go kind of different directions. But we'll come back and we will then in turn address it. I want to get a glimpse of the last verse in 18, or 31, I'm sorry, verse 18, to kind of set the stage of what we have here. So when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. Now remember when Pastor Sergio spoke last time, he talked about when Moses went up and Joshua happened to be with him and God was communing with him, but he had been gone for four weeks. Four weeks. To us today, that may not seem like a great deal of time. But maybe it was for the Israelites back then. Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back, how long, four weeks. It was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Man, the rest of them, they're still complaining. 
They just haven't seemed to learn their lesson. Verse 2, this is what boggles my mind. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wife, the sons and daughters, and bring them to me. Good. He's going to throw them away, right? All the people took the gold rings from the ears, brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into a shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Four weeks. Four weeks. And they're begging for a God from Aaron, and Aaron submitted to the request. Gets worse. Verse 5, Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. Aaron! Verse 6, the people got up early in the morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. I'll be honest with you, when I first got this text to preach on, my intention was to go, let's look at golden calves. Let's see what golden calves we may have in our lives. But I'm going, why should I? You already know it. We have them. Why? We're sinners. We're sinners. We're not perfect. We need God's help every minute of every day. So yes, golden calves do accompany us. But the thing is, the question that needs to be asked when you read those texts, what happened? Children? What happened? Their whole behavior changed. Everything they did was based upon what they wanted, their feelings. They wanted a God that they could worship. Forget about this God that brought them out of Egypt. Forget about the God who took care of them in the ten plagues. Forget about the God who helped them go through the Red Sea on dry ground. Forget about the God who gave them a light and a cloud for shade. Forget about the God who fed them with manna and quail. That just wasn't enough, I guess. Because you know what? Four weeks went by. And God and Moses wasn't there. So therefore, they must have abandoned us. Four weeks. As we continue, I want you to listen to the words. They're not going to be on the screen. But I want you to listen to the words of what happens here now. Because see, God is still coming off of the mountain and God's presence is there. I want you parents, and everybody, to put yourself into the position of asking, who do I draw closest to here? God? Moses? The children? Who do I resonate with? Because we're going to see a picture of God 
But then again, too, God is our Father. And so parents, I want you to listen on the fact of you as parents and how you've had to relate with your kids, even when your kids rebelled against you, choosing to do their own thing, not doing what you asked them to do. It happens. We've been there. We all have. So if you want, close your eyes, but picture with me in your mind what it must have been like for Moses and God as they were coming off the mountain. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way that I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and they have bound down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now God is telling Moses this. Moses was kind of responsible for them. He was their leader. But God is seeing what's taking place at the bottom of the mountain. Moses hasn't seen it yet. And God's going, those are my children. Then the Lord said, I have, been, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so that my, my fierce anger can blaze against them. I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. I don't want to make light of this, but come on, parents, how many times have you been so frustrated with your children? You go, I just want to kill them. I want to start over. Come on. It happens. Do you love them? By golly, you do. It's just that stubbornness, that rebellion that choice that they know better than I as the parent of what's best for them. Because you know what? Kids know everything. I've been told that a hundred times. But dad. So put yourself in the position of God. These are, are these rebellious kids of his. Thrones of them. Over two million of them. I like Moses, the mediator. Verse 11, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord, his God. Pacify? Oh Lord, he said, you, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? God, can't you see what the Egyptians will say? Look at what this God did. He took them all out into the desert and did away with them. Yep, he's a loving God. See, Moses is pulling everything out. God, have you seen this? Have you looked at it this way? See, see sometimes God loses perspective. That, that word perspective has been crucial to me here this last year. 
I need to see the right perspective, and half the time, I see it wrong. It's God's perspective that I call upon, but boy, was Moses amazed when God's perspective was, let's just get rid of him. Moses didn't even have God to call on for help. But he hung in there. He hung in there. Just as you parents realize you don't give up, do you? You hang in there. Because they are your children that you love. Turn away from your fierce angry. Change your mind about this terrible disaster that you have threatened against your people. I like this one. This is a good one, especially with your kids or anybody that you counsel. Remember. God, re remember what it was like. Re remember the good things. Kids, kids, remember the vacation. Remember all the good things. Daddy's not as bad as you say I am. I'll even show you the slides. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. But remember. <sighs> it is so important for us to remember. And Moses is pulling that card out. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bond yourself with the oath to them, saying, I will take your descent. Oh boy, he's now throwing. You made a promise, Lord. You made a promise. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. Lord, you, you promised that you would be with them, that you would bless them. Them! I can't see the Lord holding grudges. I can't see the Lord being so hot-headed that he would lose control. He was even in control at this moment. But boy, here's a verse that you don't hear a lot. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he had threatened to bring with the people. But pastor... I thought the Lord never changes his mind. But that shows to me that this God is a very relational God. This God is a very personable God. This is a real God with emotions that can experience, and he did, the anger that wilted up within him. And you know what, parents? I haven't killed my kids, and I don't think anybody out here else has. But you have threatened. Because after we blow up and the dust settles, we see the errors of our ways and the words that we spoke, and we wish that we could pull them back, and we just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, kids, that I behaved that way. And God himself changed his mind. 
Then Moses turned and went down the mountain that he held in his hand the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The works on them were written by God himself. It says that he wrote it with his own finger. I would have loved to have been there to see that. God wrote these words with his own finger. 17, when Joshua Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to the Moses, it sounded like war in the camp. Are you picturing this? They're coming off of the mountain. They're descending down. Because they were in pretty much, uh, not a fog, but a lot of smoke on this mountain for 40 days. They're coming down to see the children. 18, but Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. Maybe they've changed their mind. Maybe they got their act together. So now we're going to pick up on the screen, verse 19. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf. Moses saw the calf. You fill in the blank. Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that had been made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. I don't understand that. I can't even explain that. 21, finally he turned to Aaron, his brother, his brother that he left in charge while he was gone. At least there's one in the camp. There's one in the camp that I knew that held true, but what he saw, he goes to his brother Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Did they hold you at gunpoint? Did they tie you up? Did they put you with tar and put feathers on you? Did they put you into a pit, Aaron? Did they hang you from a tree until you relinquished with what they wanted? It had to be that bad, Aaron. Didn't it? Aaron? Aaron's reply. Eh, don't get upset, my Lord. My Lord? You yourself know how evil these people are. Come on, Moses. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, I told them, Whoever has gold jewelry, take it out. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out popped this calf. Come on. How many times have your children told you that? I did this, mom and dad, and out popped this. I have no idea how this toy got here. 
I have no idea where this cake came from. I have no idea how this came about, Moses. Boy, Aaron was converting way back to his childhood. Because he's talking to his big brother. Verse 25, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. Their enemies. People were watching. What a witness. What a witness. So he stood at the entrance at the camp and shouted, All of you who are on God, the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Yay for the Levites. Let's give them a hand. Because they seemed to be the only one that had enough guts to come forward and stand on the Lord's side. When you look at that picture, what a dysfunctional case study it is. That's why human psychology would have a heyday with it. Because in order to be able to know truth, it has to be in the thought process, which is your brain. You have to know truth. And in knowing truth, you have a relationship that you believe. And God works with us in these two categories. Thoughts and beliefs, that when we make decisions, it's based upon our thoughts that he works with us and the beliefs that he gives to us. But 99 times out of 100, people have a tendency to take a step back when problems arise and they go back to this section of behavior. Behavior because their feelings were hurt. My sister, my husband, my wife, my, my kids, they, they did bad to me. So in doing so, this is why my behavior is the way it is. Many times I have sat in my office and I have to focus and talk to people and get them off of the behavior because they've completely lost sight. And the Israelites were no different. In fact, they knew of God but they didn't know God. You go through the scriptures, the Old Testament, 4,000 years, God is constantly trying to get them to know Him. When I spoke just three weeks ago, we talked about the manna that came down. Exodus 16, verse 6, So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. He wants you to know. Exodus 16, 12, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. God so desperately desired to have a relationship with his children. And 
And when you read the scriptures, it went everywhere. Highs and lows. Killings that you can't explain. Pictures you can't believe. And you wonder, oh man, what must it have been like? But it's important for us to know. To know. And that's why this morning I move over to this little bowl that has puzzles pieces in it. My size of pieces. Honey, I, I could do this puzzle. <laughs> and the reason why I have this bowl of puzzle pieces is There's a young gentleman sitting here in our church today that I have had the privilege of journeying with him for this last year. And he has given me permission to share a piece of his story. just a piece because it's quite a story I'm not going to dance around this nor do I feel that he objects we all know Darren Stout young man just a year ago last week was told that he has cancer untreatable cancer the doctor says can't give you much hope. I sat with them in their home. And I asked Darren, I said, can I journey with you? Can I help you in any way possible? And I'm thankful that he said yes. Because it was like, Sometimes we just need a, a third party. Lonnie, she's a great support. She's a wonderful wife. She's a trooper. And so are their kids. I'm very proud of each and every one of them. Lucas is the one that's the kind of the, the rubber band that keeps that family going. But the thing is like, Lord, what is it that you ask of me? What is it that you want of me to help your child there? And I had this chance to sit with them. We went through the scriptures and we saw the promises. We went through the question of the purpose of life. We went through the aspect of let's step far enough back and see from God's perspective of what's happening. Because see, half the time when you're in the middle of the storm, and I swear he's in a storm. Maybe you can relate to being in a storm. When you're in a storm, you can't see too clearly. You can't think too clearly. And you need to have someone come along you to help you as you endure the storm. But like I said before, that word perspective is a very crucial word for Darren. To help him see from God's point of view. 
And it wasn't long into our sessions as we talked when they would go to Seattle for treatment, for chemo, and what he went through. That we came across the text, Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belong to such as these. I have preached that verse for years. But it did not have as much impact as it did when Darren and I read it. Because the question that each one of us has, and I know for Darren, then what is it, Lord, that these children have that you want me to have so that I can have this eternal kingdom with you? Isn't that the equation? Come unto me like, Lord, I want to be like those children. I look at Lucas running around the house, and you know what? That's the kind of children God's talking to, full of energy, ever ready battery. Never runs down. But the thing is, children have trust and faith and belief, and they don't question the fact that mommy will feed them, mommy will clothe me, daddy will protect me. That doesn't weigh upon their mind that they lose sleep over. And so as we talked, it's like, is that what it is, Lord, you want me to be like? I go, I... <laughs> That's a pretty good picture. So as he would go on his sessions to Seattle, his doctor's appointments, I would only speak to him in word pictures. Darren, hold daddy's hand. Hold daddy's hand. He would come back and we would talk. How is it? Tired, took a toll on him. But Fred, I, I held Daddy's hand. As the year progressed, he would share with me things that just, I would jump for joy. Pastor Fred, God is becoming so real to me. I, I don't mean to step on your story, Darren. This, this is your story. But I think a lot of that has to do with the fact of holding Daddy's hand. And so every time, hold Daddy, I would send him a text. And finally, kind of put some meat on the word picture. Look at that picture. That's a sermon right there. 
That speaks loudly about trust, faith, surrender, unconditional love, relationships. Do you see a controlling picture here? Do you see a controlling daddy? No. I can almost tell you that child may think that they have a pretty good grip on daddy's hand, but you know what? Daddy's got a tighter one. And Jesus has a tighter one. We can't slip out of his hand because he loves us so much. There will come a time, I know, that Darren will share with this church family because there are more pieces to this puzzle. And a big piece is one that happened just last week, but that's Darren's story. But boy, it does my heart good. To see this young man acknowledge that God is real. God is with me. God is with my family. Darren doesn't know what the future holds. But I know that in his heart, and he shared with me because I love these little quote pictures and I showed one three weeks ago and it said, you don't need to know where you're going if you know God is leading. And Darren has come to that point. Faith is not believing that God can. It is knowing that He will. Whoa, wait a minute. So He will cure him? Jesus talked to God in Gethsemane. <laughs> I'm not real thrilled about the direction we're moving here, Father, so if you won't let this cup pass from me, I'll be more than happy. But not my will, Father, but yours. And Darren has come to the point of not so much asking for a healing, per se. It's just, Lord, help me enjoy the journey that you are taking me on because I know that you are in charge. That you're in charge.
Because, see, we're, we're no different than the Israelites, to be honest with you. We're all born into slavery. When we come to this world, we are sinners. What? Babies? Those cute little babies are sinners? I like what Morris Vinden wrote. We are all sinners. Whether we have ever done anything wrong or not, it is not sinning that makes us sinners. It is getting, it is getting born that makes us sinners. We were born into a sinful world. But that doesn't mean that this is where we stay. And the Israelites were very complacent to be able to say, I want to go back to Egypt. You just brought us out here to kill us. We had gods back there. We had food back there. We had behavior, behavior, feelings, feelings. They were just jumping around all over the place. But by golly, no belief in God and not even a knowledge in their minds of who he is. And there are people on this earth today with the same problem justifying their actions by behaviors because of their feelings. As we come to an end here this morning, I want to share with you God is always sharing to me. I can't speak for Sergio or Larissa, but I try my best to prepare for this moment to spend time with him. But I find nine times out of ten, Sabbath morning, he is still enlightening me, which is okay. So I'm sitting there with my best friend contemplating today's message. And over the sound system comes a song entitled, I Can't Even Walk. Without you holding my hand. It got my attention. I want to share with you just a few stanzas here. My brother, I want you to listen. Because it says, oh Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountains are too high and the valleys are too wide. Down on my knees is where I learn to stand. Oh Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I think I'll make Jesus my all in all. And if I'm in trouble on his name, I will call. If I didn't trust him, I'd be less of a man. Because Lord, I can't even walk 
without you holding my hand. That impressed me. Because it impressed me so much that I knew that Lord was telling me that Darren was being cared for. And I'm contemplating making this something that could attach to the key so Darren can carry this in his pocket. Just joking. But see, I know that he has this picture. I see the picture. My prayer today is for you, church, for you, online church, for all of you who hear my voice. God is pleading for you to come home. God is pleading for you to know Him. God wants to spend time with you. Do not love, let the golden calves in life take time away from God. We have a tendency to choose that. And I'll tell you, the enemy has done a great job to distract us from spending time with God, hasn't he? Let this picture stay in your mind as you leave here today. Let this picture be something that you can call up. Let this picture resonate with you and say, Lord, I want to take your hand. In fact, every day you get out of bed, Lord, take my hand. I can't do it without you. Like the praise team sang this morning, all I want is you. And I believe each one of us here has that prayer. Lord, all we want is you. You are daddy. Let me take your hand because I know you are reaching down to me. I know you are real. As real as this rock in my pocket. He's real. And he desires us to get to know him in that fashion. Because he is an emotional, caring, loving God. Because we see that conflict with him and Moses. He was pretty upset. And he had every right to be upset. Because he is a daddy. But the feelings don't govern his life. Nor does he let the behaviors govern his actions because he comes back to the thought of, I love my kids. I believe that they are good even though they rebel. I love them. So when you leave here today, 
and the weeks to come or the days to come, take Daddy's hand and let Him lead your life in a way that gives Him full control. Have faith in Him. Knowing that, yes, he hears what you have to say to him, but he has the best course, the best plan for you that you could ever choose. It's silly for us to think that we can do something better than what he has for us. Draw close to daddy today and the days to come.